Now back to the Matt Mosley Show on ESPN Central Texas. It is uh, the Matt Mosley Show, ESPN Central Texas. NFL Blitz coming up in just a little while, 340. More firings uh, to announce to you and react to. Kevin Reynolds joining us now, BYU uh, reporter. I followed him in football and now doing some hoops. He's in town. And, Kevin, welcome back to the Matt Mosley Show. Have you put your eyes on the new Foster Pavilion, or are you waiting until uh, tonight to uh, to get your first glimpse of it? Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for tonight. I uh, haven't seen it, but I'm very excited. Obviously, saw it on on TV and and Twitter and everything. It looks it looks awesome. All right, that's pretty cool that BYU folks, from what I could tell, showed up to meet the group when they sh- maybe last night. I guess they got in there and maybe were able to shoot around and and get a feel for the new Foster Pavilion. Um, is that a pretty common thing as BYU makes its way around the country that the BYU fans will will show up maybe even the night before a game to greet them? Yeah, I think it happens from time to time. Uh, you, you saw it a little bit. Um, BYU, like a lot of schools, went on a foreign tour um, in the summer. Uh, I think they had kind of a similar thing happen, happen there. Um, and then occasionally you see it on the road um, at, at different places. Obviously, a lot of it's changing now as, as BYU kind of travels to different places in the Big 12, uh, coming from, in basketball at least, the West Coast Conference. So things are a little bit different, um, and this will be their first trip, and this is their first trip uh, to Waco as a member of the Big 12. So, um, But, yeah, it is, it is, you, you see it from time to time uh, when BYU gets on the road. What has BYU done this year when they're playing well? And they were playing well enough to be ranked 12th before they lost to Cincinnati. Well, that had to be a really bad home loss, especially they were leading in the second half. Trev, uh, you know, Nell, uh, Trevin Nell hit nine threes in that game. And I was just looking at it. I mean, they only scored, what, 60 points in the game. So he had about half their points from three. But, like, when BYU has been playing well this season, what is it that they do? Obviously, they can hit the three, but I generally they've had some nice big guys in the past, and they like to do the high-low. Um, what is work for them, and, and what, uh, what, what will they be looking to do against the Bears tonight? Yeah, I mean, well, just off the, the Trevin Nell thing, obviously I think he is their best shooter. Didn't play last year, had an injury. Uh, comes back this year uh, for the first time in almost two years, really fully healthy, coming off of a shoulder injury, and he's shooting it really well. I think he's shooting it about 43% from three. Um, so he's shooting it really well, and, and that helps his team. Uh, last game you talked about it, he, he sat almost six minutes in that second half from about the 10-minute mark to the four-minute mark in the in the the down the stretch of that game, down the stretch. Um, and essentially Cincinnati – took it from about a one point lead when he went out to a eight or nine point lead by the time he came back in. So that was a little bit confusing um, last week, but overall, you know, you talk about how BYU has kind of changed who they are. And I think that started um, a very conscious effort last year, the start of last year, um, their last year, of the WCC, I think Mark Pope and the staff looked at it and they had kind of, they had flirted with being a, a top 30, top 25 team pretty consistently through his first couple of years there. Uh, you remember the COVID year, you know, BYU, 
uh, was a you know a, a really good basketball team, uh, probably a projected high seed in the NCAA tournament, and had a lot of veteran guards. You know, Alex Barcelo, and you can kind of go down the list. And like you said, you know, they had a you know a good good group of, of big men too. Um, but they kept kind of running into the Gonzagas of the world. They would beat them once or twice, but they kept running into these. You know, the offense just the ceiling wasn't high enough, and the ceiling wasn't high enough going into the Big Twelve. So they kind of changed everything around um, going into last year and put a, a, a pretty big investment on, on playing at a faster tempo. They went from more of a half-court team to they're going to push the pace and they're going to shoot a lot of threes. And right now you're kind of seeing a lot of the the manifestation of a lot of that, right? Um, this is a team, I think, that's second in the country in terms of the percentage of points they get from the three-point line. I think it's something – it's over 40%, 43%, if I'm not mistaken – so that you know, that's a number that not a lot of teams have, and sometimes they're overly reliant on the three. They didn't shoot it particularly well against Cincinnati, um, and you know they just take a ton of threes throughout the game. So you know, if if you go macro in a big picture, like that is what Mark Pope ha- has tried to do over the last two years, and he's kind of in the second year of this transition to to this style of offense that he feels like has a higher ceiling, and you've seen you know, glimpses of it, glimpses of it work, but you've also seen the struggles. And, and I think Cincinnati last week, and we'll see what tonight looks like, but you can kind of see this team, you know, take a couple steps forward and a couple steps back in, in real time as they kind of try to take on this new identity. Is the Marriott center considered a really tough place to play? I mean, obviously It'll be interesting as as the Bears will, you know, I, I think they did go there a couple of years ago or a few years ago. I remember some game that they had there. Um, what is that place like? I bet it's a, quite a bit bigger than this. There'll be 7,500, you'll notice, at Foster Pavilion. They went smaller. They downsized by nearly 3,000 in capacity, and so they wanted to make it a smaller, more intimate feel. Um, the Marriott Center... In my mind, I've always imagined it was like seventeen to nineteen thousand. Am I going too high there? What's the, and, and what's that? What is that like? Is that a, is that generally been an extremely play, uh, tough place for people to play? Yeah, I mean Marriott Center is, I think, tops out at basically eighteen thousand. I, okay. I think it's around seventeen thousand eight hundred, nine hundred. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, it is. I, I think if you look at Kempom, I think the Marriott Center, it was at one point, I think, the ninth biggest venue in college basketball. Now it, it's down to about 15. Um, so it's a it's a big place to play, and it's a unique place to play in, in terms of there's you know pretty good fan attendance at, at the Marriott Center pretty much every night, um, even in non-conference. You know, it's surprising sometimes on, on some nights where you're looking around and the announced attendance is around 14,000 per games in the non-conference. So like that was unique. Even when I got to BYU, I, I was pretty surprised about, um, you know, the attendance on a pretty consistent and nightly basis on a nightly basis for how big that place is. So it, it is different from Baylor and, and a lot of other venues in that regard. Um, so yeah, there, there, there's kind of two, two different ways. I think, you know, I think the Baylor, the Baylor way and a lot of different venues is make it a little bit smaller mm-hmm. and have it be really loud. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that tonight. Um, but the Marriott center is really, it, it's a huge, huge venue. 
you saw what it did for SMU to renovate that place, and then it became kind of the place to be in Dallas for a little while under Larry and even Jankovic a little bit after him. And so the newly renovated Moody, a lot of us remember the old Moody, <clears throat> that's kind of what they're going for here. You know, great lighting, almost like the fans are in more of a theater type deal. But also they've kind of created an old Midwest um, kind of. So I'll be anxious to kind of see what you think as you look around. The video boards are kind of cool. Um, so, yeah, I think I think um, I think you'll enjoy it. But you being a former SMU student or an SMU grad, I thought I, I thought you would enjoy me bringing up Moody. Yeah. Now, Moody, Moody I, I covered the kind of the latter years of the Jankovic era. And, okay. uh, you know, whenever they they had some runs in them, you know, down the stretch where they're hosting the Memphis of the world, the Memphis is really good. And uh, Georgetown, when they came into town um, and that place gets can get really loud if, if it's packed. It doesn't always get packed, obviously, as you know. But, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what Baylor, how Baylor kind of took from that and See what see what it looks like tonight. All right, Kevin Reynolds joining us on the Matt Mosley Show, ESPN Central Texas, Salt Lake City uh, Trib, as he makes his way to the Pavilion tonight. Do you ever uh, check out the Jazz? Um, I mean, Keontae George, a Baylor player, uh, we've uh, been interested in watching him this year. He was a starter, then he got hurt. Now he's not in the starting lineup. I know Andy and some of those guys that cover that team, but. Uh, I would say Keontae George has been embraced in the Salt Lake City area. Not quite like Donovan was, but I would think it's um, – hopefully he's fitting in there pretty nicely. Yeah, I mean, Andy and Eric, they, they have a better better pulse on that than me. But, yeah, from a, from I, I went over to Summer League um, when Keontae was playing. Uh, they play their little mini Summer League in uh, – in Salt Lake City with about four teams, Oklahoma, the Oklahoma City Thunder were there. Um, I forget the other two. I think it might have been Memphis. But, uh, yeah, he, he's been playing pretty well. Um, you know, I covered Keontae when he was in high school, when he was back in Louisville as a, mm. as a freshman in high school. And then, obviously, you know, he was he was in the Metroplex in Dallas for a while. Um, and, you know, the one thing that always, you know, struck me about Keontae and kind of his development is how much of a, you know, he was always a really good scorer from what I remember, but like, I think he kind of changed his body too, um, coming into, into the league. And uh, you, you would know this better kind of his from his, you know, season at, at Baylor and then mm-hmm. to the jazz now, but you know, he, he, I, I think he's been embraced pretty well um, in Salt Lake. And I think, you know, they've trusted him and they put a lot into his, his investment and his, his growth. Another Metroplex uh, player, Caleb Lohner, who transferred to one of those prep schools, I think up in Utah somewhere, but mm-hmm. he was at BYU, now at Baylor, gives Baylor a lot of energy off the bench, probably had hoped to be a starter, and that really hasn't uh, worked out. But in talking to the BYU program and the people that are around it every day, like yourself, I mean, it, what what are the what are the thoughts on Lohner? I mean, he's... He's an interesting guy, and I think he probably loved being up there where he could snowboard and do all that. I'm not sure basketball coaches love that he liked all that adventure stuff, but I would think that uh, in his short time at BYU, uh, people did enjoy him because he, he um, he's a leaper, high, high-energy guy. Thought he was going to become, and he's getting a 
better three point shot. He just doesn't get to play a whole lot. What is the what 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 about uh, what do people say about about Caleb Loner now that uh, he's left BYU and he's at Baylor? Yeah, I mean he's a he's a flower mound. He was a flower mound player too um, mm-hmm. in high school before he left. But um, yeah, I, I think for him. Uh, you kind of never, I, at least when I was covering him, I don't think he ever kind of fully put it together on what he could have been offensively in this offense. And I know he was there uh, before kind of everything changed um, at BYU and the entire offensive system kind of changed. Um, but, you know, you saw, I think he played some of his best basketball down the stretch of his BYU run when BYU was in the NIT, uh, made it to the quarterfinals, I, I believe, one step away. Um, from from New York back when they played it in New York, and uh, yeah, so I think it's been interesting to follow his career from afar now. Uh, when he went to Baylor and has kind of maybe not played as much as as he envisioned, or um, as much as maybe he played at BYU, right? But I think it, I think if he stayed, maybe he could have grown into something a little bit more in, in this offense um, because because you could see flashes of you know when he was shooting well what he could kind of give to this team. Because another thing that this that this BYU team has right now is, you know, when you look at the front court and the, particularly kind of where Caleb Lohner plays, there isn't a ton of depth there right now, um, particularly with injuries. You know, Fusene Traore was there when Caleb Lohner was there, but he, he mm-hmm. just returned, hadn't really played at all. He just returned his first game back was against Cincinnati. And then when you kind of don't have him if you're BYU – you're really left with Atiki Ali Atiki and Ali Khalifa. And most of the time they're almost essentially in a four guard, a lineup with just Ali Khalifa out there. Um, and that's where Caleb Loner, I think could probably, you know, play and help if he was still at BYU. Um, and now obviously he's at Baylor. So it is interesting to see, you know, it to think where, where Caleb Loner would be in this offense if, if he stayed at BYU. All right. What was the thought of, of Gary Bohannon Jr.? Ending up at BYU, um, great player for the Bears, great leader, great person. Ends up at BYU. Like, will that be a 50-50 battle? Uh, are there already people who think he's got the upper hand? He was banged up at South Florida, obviously barely played. If not, I don't know if he played at all this past season, quite honestly, because uh, he he had been hurt and he didn't win the job. What is um, – What's the thought of former Baylor quarterback Gary Bohannon Jr. now arriving at BYU? What's kind of the talk you're hearing, and 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 do you think it'll be he'll just have to he'll battle for it, or do people think he's he's going to be the guy? Yeah, I, I do think he'll battle for it. I don't think he's going to come in and, and be the starter. I don't. I mean, BYU kind of had that last year, you know, with Keaton Slovis. They they came in. He obviously played USC, played at Pitt, um, was. Um, successful as a real, really successful as a freshman, kind of had some up and down years. But he came in and he was the starter from day one when he came to BYU, and that's not going to happen. I don't think this time with Bohannon, um, really at all, because you know right now the the quarterback puzzle at BYU is a little bit more complex than it was when Keaton Slovis came last year. You know, Keaton Slovis was coming in, there was no real guy in the room that could start. Um, they brought in two quarterbacks last year, and Jake Retzlaff, the junior college transfer, was one of them. But now, you know, Bohanna comes in, and, and Retzlaff's the guy that started the last four games of the year for BYU last year. Keen Slovis got got hurt in the Texas game, um, or after the Texas game, got kind of hurt, didn't play the rest of the year. 
And Rhett's last kind of a guy that I think the offense moves pretty well with him. He's a more mobile quarterback. He's got a really good arm. But, you know, he hasn't had a ton of experience at the Power 5 level, uh, four games so far, made a, a ton of kind of costly errors, had a pick six at the goal line against uh, Oklahoma, um, if you were watching that one, and that kind of cost them the game. So I think right now, if I had to kind of map it out, I think BYU has probably three options at the quarterback room. Uh, they could have kind of a veteran guy like a Bo Hannon, and that gives them that option. I think that's why they brought him in. And then you also have, you know, Jake Redslaff, who can, can cut, cut down on turnovers, have him in the mix, and the offense moves well. Um, and then you also could go young and, and look at, you know, a Ryder Burton or a Noah Lugo. Noah Lugo is out of, is out of Texas um, in, in the Fort Worth area, so and he's coming in early. Um, so you can kind of go three different routes, and it gives BYU a little bit more flexibility for this spring and summer as they kind of have this quarterback battle of where they're going to go because beforehand I don't think there was there was there was no great option either you're relying on a on a junior college transfer who's played four games to to make a huge leap and cut down on turnovers or you're asking a guy who has never played a college snap to to be your starter and so now you kind of have a legitimate third option um and third way to go where you know you have some wiggle room if if Retzlaff can't make a jump or if, or if the young guys don't look ready to play, you know, and, and I think they need that because they need to make a jump in, in year two of the Big 12, as, as mm-hmm. you know. Have, have they? How active has BYU been in the portal, and what did they learn about themselves this year where they felt like they had the, the farthest to go? Like, where do you think, what do you think they're addressing the most? I know some people wanted Jeff Grimes when he got fired by Baylor to come back to BYU. He's ended up in a pretty good place as Kansas's offensive coordinator. What 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 do they need to address to really take that jump? Uh, other than make sure they get the quarterback right. Other than the quarterback, there probably two things come to mind. The offensive line, I think it it, it needs to get better, and I think everybody knows that at BYU, um, it, it needs to get better. BYU could not run the ball particularly well. Honestly, it couldn't protect the passer. I mean, it was a little bit slightly better in pass protection, but not much. Um, so that really needs to improve. And, and that's been kind of the thing for, for two years now where this running game hasn't really been where it needs to be. And the way the offense is kind of structured at BYU is, you know, this is a team that throws off of the run. And if you can't run the ball, then, it, you know, it gets it gets really difficult at, at times. And I think BYU's offense couldn't move the ball consistently this year in the Big 12. Couldn't really move the ball when it was playing well. I mean, BYU started, uh, they beat Arkansas early in the year. But, you know, there still were pretty glaring mistakes and issues in the run game. So that's where it starts. And I know Grimes was a big thing in the in the offseason, the early parts of the offseason, obviously has has a history at BYU, um, but he ends mm-hmm. up in Kansas. But this, this offense, first and foremost, I think needs to fix the offensive line. And then the second part of it, too, on the defensive side is a year two of a new coordinator, Jay Hill, in getting pass rushers. I mean, this – this this has kind of been a wholesale change for BYU. Before they were kind of a drop eight defense. Um, they weren't worried. I mean, uh, their former defensive coordinator Liza Tuiaki, who's now um, going to be a position coach at Oregon State, um, he he really didn't value sacks, didn't value blitzes, and that was not his real thing. And Jay Hill comes in completely different, but he didn't really have the guys. I don't think in year one to truly run that defense. And you look at not just the transfer portal, but you look at the recruiting class. They brought in six, seven guys on the defensive line that mm. they're just hoping one or two hit. You know, and that's all they yeah. need. 
Um, and, and that's clearly where their priority is right now. All right. Baylor brought BYU players in, the Barrington brothers. Good guys. Yeah. It just didn't work as well as they thought. I think they thought they would just plug them in and it would work beautifully. Again, not bad players, but, but you know, sometimes you lean so far on the portal and it, it backfires on you a little bit. And how could you not want to have a pass rush when you watch what Michigan did last night to an unbelievable quarterback and just threw him off, got him off his spot, got him out of rhythm, and he looked like he hadn't looked all year, at least from what I've seen. So I would think uh, I would think everybody's got to move, be moving toward that. All right, and it'll be exciting, by the way, to see the oldest player in college basketball, Spencer Johnson, for uh, for BYU. I think there's somebody from Fairfield, like a month older, but that guy's not playing this season. He's out with an injury, so we're going to call Spencer the oldest player in uh, – in college basketball, and, uh, and that'll be fun. Well, get get there, get over there, and check it all out. I was trying to give you uh, restaurant recommendations earlier, but who knows? You may have been spending a little time in your old haunts there in the Dallas area. But uh, have fun tonight, Kevin, and and uh, really uh, really appreciate you doing this. Look forward to meeting you. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll see you tonight, and uh, looking forward to it. All right, there he goes, Kevin Reynolds. Uh, from the Salt Lake Trib.